Happy Easter. You're listening to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Eric Roges, and I'm the executive pastor here at Rolling Hills. This Easter Sunday, we're rounding off our Easter series as we celebrate what this day is really all about. Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection were all according to God's purpose. Jesus came to us and defeated sin and death to bridge the divide between sinful man and a loving, just God. It doesn't matter how much we've fallen short in life because Jesus has paid the price for each of us personally. All we have to do is accept his invitation. We're so excited to share the promises of scripture and the love of Jesus with you today. Let's listen in. Who is this Jesus? He claimed to be the savior, the one the world had been waiting for. His arrival was celebrated, but then, Everything changed. He was rejected, despised, tortured, crucified, buried in a tomb. Yet, in this act, the work was revealed. The promise was fulfilled. He defeated death, rose from the grave, and the world would never be the same. Who is this Jesus? He is who he said he is. He is our savior, our hope, and he is alive. You can clap for that if you want. That's true. He is alive and we serve a risen savior. Happy Easter. Uh, My name is Nick Allen, and I get the privilege of being the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills, and so I do want to say welcome today. I'm really, really glad that you're here and that you've chosen to be with us on Easter Sunday. If this is your very first time ever, I just want to say a special word of welcome. Um, Whoever invited you, I'm so glad you said yes. And whoever did the inviting, way to go. I'm I'm glad that folks are here this morning. If you're checking out Rolling Hills for the very first time, we do have a special gift for you when you leave today. So please don't don't head out without checking out our welcome banner because we'd love to put that in your hand and really just thank you in person for coming today. If it's your first time in a really long time, hey, we're glad you're back. There's always a seat for you. And if it's your first time since last Sunday, good to see you again. I'm glad that you guys want everybody to feel really, really welcome today. It's Easter Sunday, and we're going to celebrate together internally on the side of the church. I've been working in churches for over 20 years, and internally, we always call Easter Sunday Super Bowl. We literally say it's the most important Sunday of the year. And that illustration is not lost on me, even though I'm not really a sports guy, and even though I don't know a whole ton about it. Like, I'm way more into HGTV than I am ESPN. Don't hold that against me. Um, But I I enjoy it. Now, I'll watch a lot of those TV shows, but typically, you'll just have to bear with me, I fast forward to the end. Like, I don't watch all the real estate stuff at the beginning where they're trying to pick the house they're going to buy. I know they already bought that house. I know they already started the work. I just like to go past all the demo and get to the good stuff, like the paint colors that they choose and the projects that they do and the finished pieces. But I'm kind of hanging out there for a second, realizing, hey, listen, don't show me the pain. Just tell me about the baby. Here we go. Let's do this. When you get to the end like that, I I realize that something really important has transpired. You see, when we, we, we miss something that's foundational, it's in your notes this morning, when we skip ahead to the finish. Like we can miss something that really, really matters if we just go right to the good stuff at the end. And I think that scripture is the same way. 
When we bypass 39 books of Old Testament history and story just to get to the New Testament, really specifically just to get to the four good gospels of Jesus Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection, the good stuff that we talk about at Christmas and the good stuff that we talk about at Easter, when we bypass 39 books of Old Testament before that, not realizing that there's a powerful connection between that, we can really miss some foundational stuff in the process. You see, we can't bypass the introduction to sin in the garden. We can't bypass the, 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 the promise that followed the flood. We, we can't ignore God's covenant made to Abraham and his descendants. We need to hang out in the narrative story of Israel and understand the, the history of where they went and how it happened to understand the ways that God's story intersects with, with our lives. Without all of that knowledge connecting the thread all the way from the beginning, we can miss some really necessary truths along the way. I've been wading through the story of Moses in the Old Testament this week as we've celebrated the passion of Jesus. And, and it makes a whole lot of sense because for Israel, that whole promise of being rescued from slavery in Egypt and that whole process of being called out of that position of defeat matters. And we talk about it this week when we get to the story of Jesus because that's what they were celebrating. That's how Jesus and his disciples positioned themselves in the city of Jerusalem anyway. In order for him to be arrested and tried and convicted and crucified and ultimately resurrected, he had to get there. And the reason he was there is because everybody was celebrating Passover. This institutional holiday, this story of what they had celebrated all the way back since the book of Exodus, this, this moment of feast and festival, that's why they were even there. And it was all about liberation from slavery. Moses is literally, literally one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And I invite you this morning just to go ahead and turn to the new and put your finger there and kind of get situated in the book of Mark. We're going to do the tail end of chapter 15 and the very beginning of chapter 16. But there's some connections that I'm going to camp out for a moment in the book of Exodus that, that get us to that place. You see, Abraham in the book of Genesis had made a covenant relationship with God and God had promised to give him a whole lot of descendants and a, and a beautiful piece of land. And by the tail end of that book, his descendant Joseph had carved all of the Hebrew people down to Egypt so that they could enjoy life in the middle of famine. But the book of Exodus chapter 1 says that eventually, generations later, a, a Pharaoh came up who did not remember Joseph and the relationship that they had with the Hebrews. And he began to get scared that all of the Hebrews were outnumbering the Egyptians. And so he oppressed them and, and put them into slavery. And Exodus chapter 1 verse 12 says this, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. And that's a good verse, and I could hang out there for just a minute because even in moments of affliction, their families were growing. Although Egypt oppressed them, it never made them less than. They were always part of God's specific plan for the way that he was going to rescue and redeem the world. And I'll just say for a minute, the more your problems multiply in life, the bigger they get and the more problematic they get and the more dangerous they become and the more challenging they are, the more God can manifest his greatest blessings of hope in who you are. So this Pharaoh put them all into slavery and began to oppress them, but the oppression wasn't enough because they continued to thrive. They continued to flourish. It wasn't enough to stifle God's people, and so what started out as slavery eventually moved into genocide. 
where the Pharaoh ordered the Hebrew midwives to let the baby girls live, but to kill the baby boys after they were born. And don't bypass these women because in an act of civil disobedience, they continue to allow the Hebrew boys to live. In an ancient world of subversive witness, they spared the boys' lives. There was always a moment of rescue. So what was originally just an order to Hebrew obstetrics ultimately became a national command for all people. The baby boys were to be thrown into the river. And then you get to Exodus chapter 2, and there was this one mom who decidedly agreed to put her baby in the river, but to give him a vessel to make him safe. And so she carved this basket and spread pitch on it, the same material that was used to craft the ark that had spared Noah and his family before. Like, I don't know how many of y'all have like waterproof Easter baskets, but that's what we're talking about in this moment. And she literally put him in the river with the hope that God would somehow provide for this little child. His older sister, Miriam, was kind of situated among the reeds watching what was going on. And I'll just tell you today, if you want to camp out on that character for just a moment, I think that's what we're invited to do. We're invited to get close and to look and to see just what it is that God might do. This whole narrative is all about a rescue. So, 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 so Miriam, she watched and, and she saw the princess, the Pharaoh's own daughter. You know the story. She saw the basket among the reeds and she came over and she recognized that it was a Hebrew baby. And the Bible says that she had compassion on him and she took him home as her own. I, I got to tell you, this whole story starts to finish. This, this narrative of God's gospel, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but Genesis all the way to Revelation, is all about God's benevolent rescue. You see, ultimately, you and I are up a river. And the God of this great universe looks down on us, and he has compassion. And despite the fact that we don't deserve it, and it's, it's, it's legally unimaginable to do it, this daughter went against her own father to rescue this baby in order that he might have a home. This particular story that started with that simple benevolent act was really just the beginning because slavery continued and Moses grew up in the lap of luxury and then through a turn of events found himself out into the wilderness at 80 years old and he notices this this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And the voice of God called him to go back and to literally rescue his people. God said to Moses, I've looked on the Israelites, Exodus chapter 2, verse 25. And God was concerned about them. And I'll say this morning to you, God, God's looking at you and he's concerned about you. In the middle of what might seem like sick in the middle of what might seem sad in the middle of the ways that you might feel stuck in the middle of the ways that you might feel scared in your pain and in your peril when you lack control when you lack resources and when you lack support the great God of this universe is is looking on you with compassion and he's concerned about you be encouraged today that there's a God who loves you like that. So he sent Moses as a rescuer to, to redeem and to rescue the people from the very start of Scripture. We can always spot inside of it an invitation to freedom. 
Israelites were being led and invited to be free. No more misery. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses takes the word that God had given him to the Hebrew elders, and he literally says what God told him, I have promised to bring you up out of your misery. And ultimately, he promised to take them to the land that God swore that he would give to Abraham, and it was a a land that was going to be flowing with milk and honey. And if you follow through the rest of the Old Testament journey and narrative, they occupied that land, and then they lost the land, and then they occupied the land, and then they lost the land, and it was this one big struggle to maintain the land. And then you get to the New Testament, and Rome occupies the land, but that's when God chose to infiltrate the land and the world with his own son, Jesus. There's similar narrative that takes place, and we, we talk about it at Christmas. It's the same story, but a different century when a monarch rises up who hears the word of some wise sojourners from a distant land, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, when they come to worship the one who was born the king of the Jews. And so that jealous guy goes into a rage and decides to kill all the baby boys to and under. And so Joseph and Mary are, are, are left to fend for themselves. And you want to spot a connection? Where do they take Jesus? Into Egypt where they can hide out and wait for it to be safe to return home. It is not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that God took the very place that was associated with Israel's greatest of all time pain in order to salvage and secure their once and for all time rescue. And so in the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 15, what was fulfilled in the prophet of the Lord, we said, out of Egypt I called my son. Hear me say, intentionally, out of our greatest heartache, even out of our greatest heartache, God can bring the greatest deliverance. He can provide for us in that way. He looks with concern and compassion on us that way. And in the middle of our greatest struggle, he can take us out and offer to us his great rescue plan. That same Jesus who was rescued and spared in that moment grew up to to teach and to lead and to perform miracles and to amass and call disciples. In this whole series that we've been in at the tail end of Mark, we've encountered the very depth of God's love for us through the death of his own son to cover us. So this morning we read from Mark chapter 15, the conclusion of that story. Jesus has died on the cross. And it says in verse 40, some women were watching from a distance. And I get the picture of Miriam in the reeds watching to see what's going to happen next. Knowing that her brother could face death. These women knowing that Jesus did face death, but it was still not the very end of the story. They're looking to see what's going to happen next. It says among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and of Salome. In Galilee, these women, pay attention to the women, y'all. They had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day. My Bible says in parentheses, that is the day before the Sabbath. The day before the Sabbath was a really important day because you couldn't work on the Sabbath day. And Sabbath started at sunset on that day. And so you had to get everything done prior to that. And hours before preparation day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would be watching your back, making sure that you didn't bleed at all past sunset in any of the work that you had to do to prepare for the next day. In the intertestamental period between the books of Malachi and Matthew, the 400 years, these guys came on the rise and they wanted to help Israel observe the Sabbath and protect it and to keep it holy. And so preparation day was literally just as important as Sabbath day because you had a lot of work that you had to get done in order to be ready. It's not an accident that Jesus is in the tomb on preparation day. It says, so as evening approached, 
Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, peering among the reeds. What in the world is the Lord going to do next? He went boldly to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear, we talked about this last week, Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in the tomb cut out of the rock. And then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And this tomb would have been like two rock walls, and out of them this hole that was cut uh, about four to six feet in diameter, not very large, but in between the two walls, this large stone that weighed between one and two tons would have been rolled down on a decline, because that's a lot easier to roll something on a decline than it is to push it up on an incline, rolled down on an incline, and then literally situated itself in a crevice in front of the hole so that the tomb would be effectively sealed. And the women saw where Jesus was laid, and when Sabbath was over, because you can't do anything on the Sabbath, when it was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Some of your Bible translations say terrified. Some of them say amazed. It's literally the same word. They were literally struck with awe in the moment over what they were seeing. The tomb was open. There was a man dressed in white inside, and he says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He died. But get this. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And I'm just going to say this about the women in this story. They were the very last to leave the cross. They were the very first to arrive at the tomb. They were the first to learn the news, and they were the first to tell that Jesus Christ is alive. And I'm going to camp out on their remarks as they approached the tomb early that morning. Did you see Mark 16, 3? They said, they asked each other, like, who's going to roll the stone uh, away from the entrance of the tomb? Like, we've got our spices, and we're on our way, but we don't know how we're going to get inside. Who's going to be there to push the stone out of the way so that we can get there? And what the women are wondering about the stone, you and I, and for all time, people have been wondering about their salvation. How can we do it? How can we get inside? How can we break into God's holy heaven for us? How can we earn it? We don't have the strength. We don't have the means. We don't have the stamina. Salvation is exactly the same. It's too big. You can't earn it. You can't move it. You can't obtain it. The strength that you have is not enough. You don't have the means. It's no accident that Jesus died on preparation day while people are busy trying to get everything ready for the Sabbath. The real work was being done by Christ. And his last words, when he said, it is finished, he meant slavery is finished. He meant death as a hold on people's lives because of their sin, that's finished. 
Fear and obligation are finished. Striving to get ahead and to get in and to make a way for yourself, it's finished. It is finished because salvation was accomplished through the work of Jesus and only Jesus. It's none of the stuff that we do. Paul went on to write, and it's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 for us, that it's by grace that you've been saved. Through faith, and it's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by your work, not by your effort. You don't have the strength to move it anyway, not by any of that, so that nobody can boast. The women knew they couldn't move the rock. We know that we can't move the needle of God's love for us. It's a free gift that He does all the work. It's finished to save us when we could not possibly save ourselves. So they're going to the tomb and they're wondering, hey, who's going to move the rock for us? But it says, when they looked up, verse 4, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Y'all, sometimes all we need to do is look again. Sometimes all we need to do is Look, again, maybe this gospel story, maybe this Christmas story, maybe this Easter story, maybe this biblical narrative is something that you've heard over and over and over again your entire life. And I invite you this morning that if you're a person that's heard the story but has never truly received it, if you've heard the story but you've never truly believed it, y'all, look again. Because the God of this universe sent his son to die in your place as a payment for the sins in your life. And if that good news has not caused you to dedicate your whole life to knowing him and to following him with everything you I just invite you to look again. This morning when you came in, you were handed a, a connection card, and the bottom of it is a tear-off portion like this, and we put a pound on everybody's seat because this morning we want everybody to fill out a connection card this morning. This is a chance for us to figure out, well, has your address changed, or maybe you didn't tell us your birthday before. That means you didn't get a birthday card in the mail from us. If you put your birthday down, we'll send you a birthday card in the mail. You never know what might come. It's probably my signature on there wishing you a, a really good birthday. You can tell us about, maybe you got married since the last time you filled out one of these cards. We want to merge. Maybe you had some kids. I don't know what information you're going to provide, but I know what I want to see on the back. And it's an opportunity to respond. A says, I'm accepting Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation for the first time. Because I looked again. And after looking around, I can't find anything better than that. I know that I don't have to do the work. I know that it's not about what I accomplished. It's about what he already finished in my place on my behalf. And so I'll tell him today that I trust him and that I place my hope in him. Maybe it's B and you've already believed in Jesus and you're going to follow through with believers baptism like David did in our first hour and Caitlin did just a few minutes ago as a public profession and expression of the faith that you've placed in Jesus. Maybe you're C this morning and you've been a committed Christian for a long time and you're following Jesus and learning every single day what it means to walk with him. Go ahead and mark that just so that we can know or maybe it's D, I don't know. Just be honest. Be authentic. I don't know, but, but I'd like to. I want to look again. I, I want to know if it's real. I want to know if I can really put my hope in it. I want to know that when you say, Nick Allen, that God looks down on me and he's concerned about me, I want to feel what that's like. You see, the way to see and to know God, despite all else, despite all the struggle and despite all the pain and despite all the difficulty, despite whatever else is going on in your heart and your mind and your life, despite everything else, the way to see and to know God is to look at his son. 
Jesus said these words. It's in the book of John chapter 12 for us. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. He said, I've come into the world as a light so that no one believes in me should stay in darkness, should stay in misery, should stay in pain, should stay in struggle. The angel told those women at the tomb, there you will see him out in Galilee, just as he told you. What did he mean by that? He meant by that, that in Mark chapter 14, Jesus had already told all of his disciples, hey guys, I'm about to die, but that's not the end of the story. I'm going to rise again. And he says in Mark chapter 14, verse 28, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He told him what was going to happen. He told him what was going to happen, and then it happened. Jesus can be trusted. By the way, God's been telling us right from the beginning what was going to happen. He was going to see his people in their sin, see his people in their desperation, see his people in their struggle, and look down on them with compassion and reach down and save them. It's the same story that's been written to us right from the beginning that God had a rescue plan. Statements and questions for you. The God of this word and the God of this world, he can be trusted question is, do you believe it? You, I, me, we, all of us, we are invited. But the question is, how will you respond? In the book of Exodus, when Moses gathers together God's people and he tells the elders what God has promised to do and what's about to happen in the life, it says in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshiped. When you heard that God loved you, did you believe it? When you heard that he was concerned about you, that he had a plan for you, that he had a desire to be in a relationship with you, did you believe it? Did you understand that he had a rescue plan right from the very beginning to make you new and to make you whole? Have you believed and have you responded to what that plan is? It's Easter and I want you to have the hope of it. In spite of all the struggle that's going on in the world, and it's real, I want you to have the hope of the story, this terrifying yet amazing and alarming hope that Jesus is not there, he's risen. This morning we get to hear a story of that hope. It's from a a longtime friend of mine. They attend the Franklin campus of Rolling Hills. Um, I want you to hear from Misty Woodford and her daughter Lexi Kate about the hope that they have in Jesus despite all else. Went back the following week and became worse. 
Amen. You ought to know this morning when you came to church that the wisest thing that you were going to hear all day was going to come out of the mouth of a 15-year-old. And I want to say it, and I know that he would too. 
Jeff Woodford is not in heaven because he was a good guy. He, he wasn't a, a good husband, good father, because he served at church, because he was faithful. He'd tell you he was a wretch of a man, a dirty, rotten sinner. He didn't die on the cross, and he didn't move the rock. Jesus did that for him. The work of salvation in his life was accomplished by Christ and only by Christ. And he's there because he believed and he had hope. He transferred that hope onto a family that will continue to believe and continue to have hope and to continually understand that in spite of whatever our misery is, God looks at us and he sees us and he has compassion on us and he's willing to pull us out of it. He's willing to pull us out of it. That's the story of salvation, start to finish, Bible beginning to end. It's a story of rescue. There are three kinds of people here today, only three. The first is that those who are okay, truly, truly okay. Like the Jeff Woodfords, like you're just, you're okay spiritually. And the reason you're okay is not because of anything that you've done, but because you recognize that there was nothing you could do and decided to trust in a God who loved you and had a plan for you. And you said yes to his invitation to place your faith in him and to trust him. And you really are okay. You're checking that box, committed Christian, and you're going to continue to follow him in spite of the ups and the downs. There will be ups and downs. You recognize that he's there for all of it. And you are too. You're okay. The, the second group of people are, are people who are not okay, and they know it. In fact, they're willing to even say it out loud. They're willing to speak the words, I'm not okay. I, I'm not there yet. I don't understand this God that you say loves me. I don't understand this God that you say is there for me. But I'm here this morning because I'm willing to look again. I, I'm willing to check it out again. And what you just so desperately need to hear today is just stop. Stop working. Stop searching. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. You can't move anything in this life by yourself. It's literally an invitation to realize that it's already been accomplished and that salvation is here for you. And all you have to do is hope and believe. You're not okay, but you know it and you're looking. You're looking again. Because you want to know if this God that we talk about and this God that we sing about and this, this God that we proclaim loves you really does. Keep looking. You'll see it. Joel sent a, a text to our team this week just in preparation of Easter Sunday and what we we're going to experience. And he wrote, the best part about Easter Sunday is that our, our room will be filled with people who still think, who still think that they need to be better in order to be accepted or that they need to keep the real stuff hidden in order to fit in. Those who rightly believe that the church is too full of hypocrites, because you know we are, too full to be trusted, and we get the opportunity to tell them that we are all, every last one of us, far more broken than we wish and way more loved than we can believe. You're not okay, but you know it, and you're here for it third group of people is the one that scares me because they think they're okay but they're not because they think that something that they've done or something that they've said or something that they've experienced or something that somebody else regardless they're literally walking around this world blind 
not knowing that there's a God who loves them and has an incredible plan for their life and that they just have to stop and turn and trust and receive this incredible gift called life. I do invite you. Come for the next six weeks. Uh, Now through the end of school, just come. We're going to be going all the way back through the book of Mark, start to finish again together. And I just invite you to come. Keep looking and see what it is that God might want to reveal to you. I promise that along the way you'll make a few friends, people that will be there to support you and to love you, people who are just as messed up as you, people who want nothing but the best for you. You'll encounter some relationships, and maybe one of them will even stick. That'll be great. But what's more, I believe that if you're willing to look again, that somehow or another you'll see the great God of this universe and the incredible deep love that he has for you and the hope that he wants to give to you. None of us know. Jeff Woodford didn't know. Misty Woodford didn't know. None of us know when the end might come. But my fear, my ultimate goal for moments like this, is that none of us would fast forward through life all the way to the end and realize that we missed something, that we missed the most important something, and that's Jesus. I invite you to take that card and if you haven't already, jot down a few pieces of information and then, and then be so bold as to check a box about where you are and what it means to make a, a, a choice today to recognize the hope that we have in Christ and in Christ alone. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. Forgive the chance to be in this place and to, to gather together and to and to proclaim in, in these walls and outside this room that you're alive. My, my prayer is for folks here today to, to recognize it and to claim it and to know it and to trust it. For those who are here and they're just not quite sure, God, may they look again and may by the power of your Holy Spirit, may they see first how very much you love them, that you're concerned about them and that you desire nothing more than to rescue them and to give them a life that is beyond anything that they've imagined, full of more hope than they can ever dream and more freedom than they ever thought possible. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If this podcast episode has blessed you in some way, we hope you will tell a friend about us and subscribe so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Be sure to explore other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the Rolling Hills Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. See you next time, and God bless.